listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. This is a podcast about international politics. Well, we focus a lot on international politics, international relations, uh, a situation that is bubbling away somewhere in the world, anything really that is of interest, we break it down for you. Not me necessarily. I don't have that kind of knowledge. This gentleman does, Dr. Keith Souter, an expert on global affairs. He's got a couple of PhDs on the issues. He knows. He's like a walking encyclopedia. And we worked together for a number of years. My name's Kate Mack. This is an interesting one, Keith, because it is very much worth discussing politics. You know, we've seen it with Trump in America. You've got these traditional blue-collar workers that have voted for a Republican, which is unusual because Republicans are usually like the equivalent of our conservatives, like our liberals. But you see the same thing here in Australia as well. You're seeing this shift and the left-wing blue-collar workers are no longer going for the working class, traditional working class parties. So yep. will it ever come back? That's what we're <laughs> going to talk about. And first of all, let's talk about how it even started in the first yep. place. So traditionally left of centre political parties drew their muscle from blue-collar workers, right? So that was why a lot of the parties like the Labour Party got established. It reflected the labouring classes. And so they were the ones that provided the political muscle and trade. quite often their trade union members would also give big donations to the left of centre political parties like Labour in Australia and New Zealand, Great Britain, a Democrat party in the United States. But it's interesting that I think in recent years we've seen a change whereby many of the white blue-collar workers have actually supported conservative parties and candidates, as well as, of course, voting in 2016 for Brexit. And historically speaking, the British and Australian Labour parties had their peak vote around 1950. So it's actually been this long tailing off of support. So just look, looking for some of the, the reasons for the change, one I think is the role of elite media, which talk over the heads of many ordinary blue-collar workers. And what is interesting is that we now have alternative media that people can go to. I'm amazed a number of people who tell me that they get information now from Facebook rather than, say, the elite media. But this is this is the scary thing, that this has been a trend for a couple of years. I know you're not involved in social media. Yeah. But astounding amounts of people get there. And that's that's how the Russia thing happened a few years ago, the meddling in American affairs yeah. for the last election because they could post falsehoods and they were, they were believed in their droves. Yep. And also I think there's a problem that globalisation, which is the free trade, uh, cheaper products, et cetera, is now not necessarily working on our terms so that we in the West have always assumed that globalisation will be to our benefit so that we can now get cheaper clothes, a wider variety of clothes, for example, because they're not made in our own country. They're made in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, et cetera, or China. But, of course, globalisation can also work for advantages for people in poor countries, such as the mass movement of peoples. And we saw that a few years ago when a million people walked from Syria into Germany. So globalisation, the erosion of national boundaries, is a knife really that is cutting in both directions. There have been a couple of interesting books on the British political situation, which I find very interesting. One is by a chap called David Goodhart, and it's called The Road to Somewhere. And he talks about being, there are basically three groups of people. You've got the somewhere people, 
about half the British population. You've got the anywhere people, about a quarter of the population, and the in-betweeners for about a quarter of that number as well. So we're not sure about that that 25%, but the real difference is between the somewheres and the anywheres. So the somewhere people are, as I say, about 50% of the British population. They are rooted in one locality. They're less well-educated. They value families. They value security. And they see changes as representing a loss for them. They don't like changes taking place. Meanwhile, the anywheres, about 25% of the British population, are mobile, they're educated, they like autonomy, they like the fluidity of modern life, and they see change as a gain. So they see themselves as winning through change, whereas a lot of the somewhere people see the change as really working against them. And the anywheres are graduates, and they're affluent. They are about a quarter of the UK population, but they dominate politics and society. They're the what would be called the opinion formers. So they get the elite media, etc. Uh, not necessarily Facebook, right? But they're getting, you know, the London Times or the Guardian and the major BBC, ITV, TV channels, etc. And so for the anywheres, this elite 25%, they like knowledge, but they have allowed the somewheres manufacturing sector to decline. So they are white-collar workers. So a white-collar worker is someone who's mainly working in a, in a schoolroom or a, an office, something like that. So you and I basically are anywheres, right, Jack? Uh, that's one problem. University education uh, is what they have liked, but they despise technical education, what we would call TAFE in Australia technical and further education. As we've seen in this country, TAFE has been destroyed by uh, the bean counters in Canberra. They are supportive of mass immigration and they say that any of, anybody who's opposed to mass immigration must be xenophobic, so putting you down. And they have what's called an anti-domesticity family policy. In other words, they still believe in a family consisting of a mother and father and 2.1 children, whereas the anywheres, you know, might have... Uh, a variety of, of family arrangements. What is interesting, uh, as we saw in 2006 with Brexit, is that the somewheres are now fighting back. They are continuing this development. You know, they're supporting the Conservative Party, which I find fascinating because the working class are the poorer part of the society. They are not necessarily represented by the Conservative Party. That's if you take money as being the basic form of politics. And this is an error that I think people make. They assume that everything revolves around money. Whereas here you've got a group of people who are saying, we're not that fussed about money. For us, it's a question of culture. We want to hold on to our way of life. We don't want to be overrun by foreigners or people having alternative family arrangements, etc. So it, really what you need, I think, in the future are more anthropologists and fewer economists. In other words, people who can understand the culture. And these traditional in Britain, the Labour voters, felt betrayed by the Blair third way policies. Tony Blair, remember, tried to come up with this blending of traditional Labour thinking with Margaret Thatcher's economic policies. And they, they just felt that they lost out on that. And they don't like the patronising tone of many commentators, what they call the inner city lattes and lofts multiculturalists. And it's interesting, Michael Collins, another right British writer, 
in his book, uh, The Likes of Us, a biography of the white working class, has said, in quotations, the white English working class is now the only group of people that the chattering classes are happy to hear mocked and attacked. Close the quote. In other words, that you know, you can't say anything about um, gays or lesbians, blacks, Jews, Muslims, but you can rubbish the English white working class. They are still people that you can mock. But then you've got to think as well that, you know, the white man has been at the top of the pyramid for yep. so long that, <laughs> you know. It's a revulsion against that. I quite agree. Yeah. But the blue-collar workers still have voting rights. Uh, they are dismissed. You get patronising comments made about them, or like the Trump supporters. Remember Mrs Clinton's comment that they were the deplorables? Oh, that was bad. Wasn't it ever? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you lose the vote. <laughs> and that fed into their paranoia that here you've got a woman from the elite east coast of the United States running with the money from Wall Street, making this comment about the deplorables. It just fed straight into their paranoia. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking today about this shift in politics and about how the working class, they've shifted who they vote for. And this is, Keith, something that's happened all over the world and whether they will end up going back to their traditional roots and the left-wing sort of Labor sort of voting um, traditions. But let's look at Australia for a second because because of we are such a wealthy nation, Keith, do you think that has any impact on the shift that's happened here? Well, I think it's a cultural issue. It's not just money. It used to be money, particularly in the 1950s, as as Australia was building itself up. I think now it is very much still part of the culture. It's a cultural war that's underway. Well, in fact, you know, in the United States, they call it a culture war at the moment. So is it permanent? Well, that's, that for me is the really interesting issue. I actually think that a new political landscape is emerging. So one end of the spectrum would be the problems of the established Industrial Labour Party or the Democrat Party, depending on the country that you're in. Now, I think that those old trade union dominated parties are on the way out. After all, the industrial class is on the way out. There's a decline in the number of people who work in coal mining or shipbuilding on the factory floor, etc. And your children will, will never go to work in a factory. Instead, they'll end up in a white collar job of some sort. Or what's the other phrase? A no-collar job. In other words, IT specialists wearing T-shirts like Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> so, you know, an industrial era is coming to an end. And the political party that represented that era, I think, is, is in real trouble. Particularly as it's got to try to blend together the old working class mentality with some of the anywheres. In other words, the, the educated teachers, etc. So obviously you've got some people who are well to the right. Their view is we've got money and we're going to hold on to it. Therefore, we're going to vote conservative. We want to hold on to our wealth. But you do end up with, with more moderate people, like the, quite often school teachers, some lawyers, some bankers, who actually want to support good humanitarian left-wing causes. And the challenge for any party leader is how do you try to balance that out? So Tony Blair clearly moved too much in the direction of the white-collar workers. Jeremy Corbyn, by contrast, represented your traditional Labour Party 
in a time when people no longer had the same appetite. Once they got to see Corbyn and what he was like, they decided, no, perhaps he's not quite for us. And so I find that fascinating. So the Labour Party really has got to find a way for its new, I know, soul, for its new centre and how it tries to position itself. But my view is that the right wing may also fracture as well. So the Conservative Party is like the Conservative Party or in Australia, the Liberal Party in um, the United States, the Republican Party. Here again, you've got problems. The traditional Conservative parties knew their market. So in the United States, they would refer to the WASPs, white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. In other words, no Catholics, no Jews, and they were industrial heartland up north, right? They were the ones who opposed the slavery system during the American Civil War. So they were the WASPs. The George Bush dynasty is a great example of that. They go to Yale, et cetera, then they go into law and banking and that sort of thing. That's your traditional WASP. Uh, in the UK, you had politicians who were assumed to be just born to rule. That's, that's the society in which I was brought up. You know, if you were from Eton, you were born to rule. Boris Johnson is an old Etonian. David Cameron is an old Etonian. And Etonians, that's a uni, isn't it? That Eton is an elite private school, and then they go on to Oxford. But what is interesting is that you see now in those traditional conservative parties an influx of, say, the United States is the Tea Party vote. So people who would support Donald Trump. It's a very unlikely coalition. Trump is a billionaire, but he's an outsider. Mm. He's not from Manhattan. He's from one of the boroughs, right? He's from Queens. So everybody despises him. Uh, he's not getting respectability. And yet he got 74, 73 million votes last November, clearly still enjoying a great deal of support. So as his voters go into this new industrial blue-collar class that he's been able to mobilise, that'll create problems for the Republican Party. And similarly, of course, with the Conservative Party in Great Britain, where they're trying to attract the old traditional Labour voters in the north of England. Traditionally, England's always split. The north was industrial, Labour. The south, generally speaking, was Conservative. Um, not so necessarily so much in London itself, but certainly in the home counties, the shires, as they're called. Now, the Conservative Party has made inroads because of Brexit into the north of England. That red wall has been demolished. The problem for Boris Johnson is how do you keep those people on side? Mm. How do you ensure your continued survival in power? So the Conservative Party's got problems as well. <laughs> and also you've got to take along your own party for the ride. So if you are going to change your characteristics of who you are, who you represent, who you're fighting for and your policies, you've got a whole lot of work to do just in that on its own. I, yeah, you know, you're running very hard just simply to stay in the same spot. And meanwhile, you've got a new generation of youngsters coming through who despise a lot of the politics that goes on. I had one young person tell me that, uh, who's got a Chinese background that in the United States or Australia, New England, you can change your political parties, but you have the same policies, yes. right? Same uh, belief so system. There's, there's a, the, the, you get that high degree of continuity. On the other hand, in China, you have one political party, but you get changes in policies, particularly since 1979. So, the, so the, China, the Chinese Communist Party has been in power for 73 years, and yet they've gone through all sorts of different policies. So a lot of young people will say to me, why bother with party politics? Perhaps the Chinese have got the right approach. You don't bother with the political parties. So what I'm saying, the bottom line for me is that 
there is a new political landscape emerging in Western countries, and we just need to monitor the developments because it's a big challenge to all of the major traditional parties. And the same thing going on here as well, Keith. Just let ending on that note. Absolutely. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.